Eisen. And this is Running with Problems, a podcast about the challenges we face as runners from navigating our bodies, dealing with social dynamics, and facing personal traumas. Today we have a great episode. Uh, we brought our friend Justin Swantek in. He is a very accomplished young adventurer. Yeah, uh, as I he like describes <laughs> himself a fast hiker. <laughs> he is extremely talented. He's he's the youngest person ever to finish the Nolan's 14. He has the the fastest finish at Niwots Challenge. Both are um, ultra endurance hiking slash running events. So yeah, he's a very capable athlete. And what inspired this episode is he wrote a blog post about his experience with overtraining syndrome. We both read the uh, blog post Yes, and um, really wanted to have him on because it's something we don't talk a lot about in our sport. Yeah, overtraining syndrome is, it's a very dangerous uh, syndrome, something that can happen to you when you train too hard. It's, uh, I think it is talked about, but it's also kind of rare. It's amorphous. It's hard to put its... Uh, to really diagnose what it is. There's no blood markers. There's no um, bi- biological way to diagnose it. it. And so, you know, hearing these personal stories of athletes who have gone through it, I think is a really good way to learn more about it. Yeah. It's certainly how Justin learned about it. Yeah. Um, and I think we talk about training fatigue and burnout, but this is something a little bit different. What Justin talks about is... What happens when you go beyond that point of fatigue and burnout? And how your body reacts. Yeah, it's really interesting. So So do you want to do a quick check-in before we head into the episode? We can do a quick (laughs) check-in. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, It's uh, first snow here. So we did have a very first snow in Boulder. We had a very beautiful run on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed inside like shut-ins on Sunday. Which was amazing. We built a puzzle and watched a movie. and Yeah, and recorded a podcast. Oh, we did another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you? I'm doing well. I'm starting uh, coach training again. Oh, yeah. Uh, for, this is my second coach, so I'm ex- excited to experience the differences, and I'm excited to get into some regular training cycles. So... Yeah, should things should be a bit more regular for me coming up, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Track workout tomorrow. Yes, track Tuesday. Let's go. It's always go. fun with snow and ice on the track. Yeah, we'll probably have to bring a shovel. <laughs> well, let's get into the episode. Yeah. Um, if you guys like this episode, please give us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, don't forget to share it with your friends. And without further ado, Justin Swantek and Overtraining Center. Hello and welcome, Justin Swantek, my friend from the Niwots community. Yes, hello and welcome. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I went scrambling today. It was muggly. Very yeah. cold. <laughs> there was a lot of snow on the ground? There's a lot of snow. There's a lot of ice falling off the rocks, which was an experience. Was that, did that warm your heart? What? 
seeing ice. ice fall off the rock. I mean, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like ice. So. Oh, wait. So it was very cold today, and you're scrambling. Do you have to wear gloves? Like, how do you... Oh, no. It, was, it wasn't it was that cold. It was like... But it was that cold. I went for a walk this morning. It was very cold. Yeah. But you want, you want the grip on the rock, so... Keith oh. did wear gloves for one of the... We did this one route six times. We just did laps on it, and Keith did wear gloves. Okay. But, yeah. but also the sun, when it rises from the east and it hits the flat it irons, warm it, it warms that rock. Yeah. Okay. So it gets a bit of solar. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> Justin, um, how would you describe yourself as a runner? Uh, I don't think I would describe myself as a runner, actually. Okay. I would ex- describe myself as a fast power hiker um, who focuses mainly on off-trail things, which is... How we know each other through yes. Niwots. Through, through an off-trail through an event. Off-trail event, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I spend like, I I sometimes run, but I've been dealing with like a knee injury for several years, and so I haven't ran because of the impact of it, um, but hiking is fun, and so I spend most of my time like just climbing mountains, like 13ers, and wandering where it inspires me the most. How did you get into fast power hiking off-trail? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, quite the identity. <laughs> I started when I was a kid, so my my dad like uh, there's videos of me as like a four year old just like scrambling up boulder fields. Um, so I think that was probably like the deep roots of it. And then, yeah, in college I started doing a lot more mountain stuff. I, I would say it's because of mountain stuff. And when you do mountains, there are trails on some, but then. As you get into more technical stuff, trails kind of disappear, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna do that hill over there." And so Are you then, from Colorado? I'm from Justin? Colorado. Yeah, I grew up in Conifer. So Conifer, born and raised. Uh, yeah. Now that is actually in the mountains. It's in the foothills, as yeah. opposed to Boulder. Yeah, which is next to you. <laughs> next, but it's adjacent to <laughs> adjacent. the mountains. Yeah, yeah. it's a good location though. The flat irons are very rad. So. Oh, we love Boulder, but I. Some people think it is in the mountains, and I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So did, uh, like when you say mountain stuff, you're talking about like peak bagging, just like trying to get all the 14ers? Yeah, mostly. So my like list before I die, if it happens to happen, is all the 13ers and above. So I haven't Mm. done all the 14ers. Um, I finished every peak in the Sawatch range though. That's that's one. Every single peak in the Sawatch range? Every peak above 13,000. Wow. Ranked and unranked. Do you, do you have a favorite fast power hiking adventure that you can think of? There's a couple. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, favorite, there's like all the different experiences, right? So like I did uh, Nolan's 14. I'm uh-huh. the youngest Nolan's finisher. Um, right. ooh, Big ooh, class. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah, if, we was... had, if we had a soundboard, there'd be an applause Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. That was how how about, old but, were you? I was 22, but almost 23. So basically okay. 23. Yeah. Uh, but that was like, that opened my eyes to the capabilities of the body. Like if you just keep walking, you can, you can, can just keep walking. It's walk. so amazing. It's but wild. Wait, yes. let, me, let me interrupt. Can oh, one God. of you share what this adventure is? Yeah. Yeah. So no one's, for, no one's yeah. 14 is, uh, the, the premise of it is it's the most 14 years you can do in a hundred miles. So it was, um, some guy asked the question and then Jim Nolan answered the question in the Sawatch range between Chavano in the south and Massive in the north, there's 14, 14,000 foot peaks. And so Nolan's 14 is you just go up and down all 14 peaks. 
and it it used to be a race, and then it got shut down because of. I think it was a race like one year. It was a race for a couple of years, Two and then it years? got shut down. Yeah, okay. not for very long. Um, and and by race, like... we just mean a website where. It told people to gather on the same day. Yeah, exactly. And it was an organized event enough that the Forest Service was like, there's too many people going into the wilderness for the same reason. And that's why I got <laughs> shut down. Um, but it's like a 60 hour, the quote unquote official cutoff is 60 hours. So you just see how many you can do in 60 hours. But it's become a route of, yeah. I don't know. It's like this postgrad. you know, we talk about postgraduate ultras. Like Nolan's is this like postgraduate like FKT route that people will spend, people will focus years on yeah, Nolan's. Sure. You have to know the, the lines. You have to pick your own line. It's not a, there's not a set route. It is, you just have to, you have to start and end in the, in the either North or South location. Uh, but there are specific start and end points. Yep. And then you have to hit the 14, 14ers. Yep. But how you go in between them is up to you. And so there's a lot of, there's this large period when someone decides they're going to do Nolan's, they have this long period of getting to know the the mountains and getting to know the routes in between. Is yeah. that, was that your experience? That's pretty, that was, I'd say that that's getting less and less true, but it, it's still true, but it's less and less true because now it's been done so many times and there is like a standard route. Um, okay. and okay. there are spots now on the standard route that because enough people have done it, there's like use trails. And so, ah. <clears throat> so some parts get easier. Like there's this gully called airplane gully. You kind of oh. go down and then into the forest and there is a use trail that it's like a slip and slide that there's just like, obviously people have walked there before. Um, and so that one's easier cause like now the branches are out of the way and stuff and it's well established. But then there's also like other places where you have to go up ske- steep scree fields and now there's Ugh. less scree. And so like those plot spots are getting harder. Wow. Um, so it is choose your own adventure and like choose your own route, but most people do it. Most people take in a very the line. similar way. Yeah. Like yeah. The Nolan's line. Yeah. Okay. I would say that's true. What yeah. made this like a, epic adventure for you was oh, it just like the accomplishment or the experience just itself? the experience of like walk like <laughs> really i mean there was a lot to it um because it's a 60 hour thing but yeah the experience of just walking and not stopping walking until you're at the end and like being so trashed but then waking up at midnight to like go climb another mountain you know and just like the experience of it all yeah it opened my eyes to like what you can do with your body it's really if you just can't keep pushing your mind you can do a lot so that's like that was a good i don't know if power hiking at the end was really the right term for it but hiking experience (laughs) yeah (laughs) so forward is a pace yeah exactly just like uh relentless forward progress right that's yeah motto or whatever and you said there was a couple of accomplishments yeah your favorite well so that that one was like cool because it it opened like expanded my mind the most um but I've also just like, you know, you go out and have a, I also scramble a lot. And so you go out and have like a really epic scrambling day and there's a countless number of those. Um, but then also like Niwots. I really like Niwots just because. Oh, Niwots. Yes. <laughs> you get it. We're getting to the point in the year. Well, Niwots on here? Uh, probably. We can do it again. Okay. Uh, we're getting to that point in the year where I start to like become like romantic about Niwots. Um, if you ask me like in the four months after I run it, yeah. how I feel about it, I'm like, you know, it's, it's really, 
it's a thing. Like, it's hard to say. Like, yeah, my, yeah. My, my feelings are much more <laughs> conflicted. And yeah. then you get in, you get, we're about like, you know, six months away from it next year. And I'm just like, I can't wait till I'm yeah, pregnant yeah. for that again. You forget all the bad things about it. It's like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, that'll be good. Niwots but, is a, an event. It is a Barkley style 50 miler or slash 100 miler um, in the mountains of Colorado, hosted by Sherpa John LaCroix as part of the Human Potential Race Series. It, well, it's really different than all of his other races. Um, it has a donation based entry fee. It is just basically 10 to 20 people gathering at a trailhead and running in the woods. We have, we encourage uh, scouting on the course. So this makes it somewhat different than Barkley, where uh, there are outings with the groups and with other people. So it's very encouraging to see other people out there. It's also why it's finishable. If we didn't allow scouting on the course, it would, it would make it much, much harder. Yes. Um, and you essentially get to know this little group of people out there running this Running is also a weird term. It's mostly hiking. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's uh, this, Justin style. It's on my alley, yeah. Dude. It's, it's, it's very weird. Justin style. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Justin and I met when... Excuse me. Summit is being a bad dog. He always makes an appearance in all podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Justin and I met a couple years ago when you came out and did Niwats in... And I was, like, super fit. And I'm like, I'm going to try and do this in 24 hours. And, uh, and for my, it would have been my third finish. And then you went out there and did it, what, like in 20, 20, 21, 23, Oh, it's yeah. such a good time on that course. Yeah. You're so talented. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Why do you like Nawaz? I like it because it's off trail. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons, um, I did it is, Another guy who's done it, Keith, he described it to me. He's like, you would like this. Because it's <laughs> off trail, which I love. Um, it's in my backyard. So I grew up in Conifer, and it's very close to Conifer. It is. And so it's like right there. I've spent a lot of time in that area just growing up. And then I got really hooked on the map and compass only part. That's why I really like it. Because the navigation aspect of it forces you to not shut your brain off. Yes. Which is like, you know what I did in Nolan's? I was like following a line on the map. And on I, your phone. On my your phone, phone, yeah. And I was like, am I off the line? Gesture. Oh, let me just look, you know? But on now watch you're like, am I off the line? It's like, I, I hope not, because then it's a whole thing, so. It's like, well, where's the line? Does the, is the line well, defined by some feature? Am I on that yeah, feature? Yeah. Are it's, you within 60 yards? I totally agree, <laughs> and this is why I love Niwots and Barkley and some of the other events I've done, It because I, I have ADHD, and, like, when I'm out there just running, running, like, and I'm I'm like, I need something to think about. I'm looking for yeah, something yeah. to think about. And that extra thinking event, you know, eventually could be, could be maybe detrimental on like a normal ultra, but on these races, it's, it's an advantage because yeah. my mind is constantly asking the question, where do I turn next? Yeah. It's great. It's just super engaging on another yeah. level that like I didn't expect. And then I did it and I was like, oh, this is great. So there's also a real, is a good boost to your self-reliance. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. you were literally just out there. Yeah. Like in the woods. Out there. <laughs> yeah. Just in the middle of the night. I have this one. I remember this one time we were climbing this wet drainage at 2 a.m. And I just turned. I had two guys, two or three guys following me. And I just turned to him. And I was like, you know, this might. 
you know, we were all just getting soaked from all the water on the in the creek while yeah, we're yeah. rock climbing on wet rocks at two in the morning. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you experience? What are you doing? <laughs> and I just turned. I was like, you know, we're gonna remember this moment. Yeah, that's about all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's very unique, uh, and it's it's right on my alley, so I like that a lot. Um, okay, but. Yeah, and then just like other good days out. I mean, I I just like going to the mountains, really. So awesome. Yeah. And are you a part of any run communities? Would you consider yourself uh, a member of I'm any? Part, I would say I'm a member of the Niwas community, probably. Uh, yeah, 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 I think that's a community. I feel yeah. that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and I think the only other one would be like some of the Boulder Scrambly people know me, mm-hmm. um, and I know them. But the Satan's minions. Or, or not, not adjacent. Even. Yeah, just like people who scramble and people who scramble. like like hanging out in Boulder and going elsewhere. Um, and then I I've helped. I don't know if I'd be part of the Nolans community, but I definitely am like open invitation. If you need someone to crew Nolans, like let me know because ah. I have great experience doing okay, that. Okay, that's so. never gonna be me. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just me. you know. Uh. <laughs> Maybe John. Lis- listeners will know I have a picture of the Nolan's route sitting above my oh, dining room I didn't table. Even that. Yeah, oh, that's sick. <laughs> nice. This is a drawing from Joe Grant's crossing. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I recognize it. I was in the Black Diamond store in Boulder. I was in the changing room, and I walked out of the changing room, and they had this like sitting there, and I was like, I want that. That's sick. It's really cool. And so I went and found the artist and bought a print and got it printed. Nice. Very good. cool. But, yeah, I think that's probably all the communities. I, like, for the last five years, I've lived in my vehicle in the mountains mm-hmm. kind of by myself, more or less. So, ah. so yeah, you don't meet too many people when you do that. <laughs> so Or you meet the same people. Or you meet the same people, exactly, <laughs> which are people that you know are going to be there and you invite it out. So, yeah. So where are you living now? Um, right now, I, I lived in Durango for the last couple months, um, because I was recovering from overtraining syndrome. Oh, wow. should, which is what which we're, is what we're here to talk about. Talk about. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where I was yeah. living the last three months, and now I'm moving to Vegas to rock climb oh. and avoid the cold. So. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Red Rocks area? Red Rocks area. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, if someone will let us... Hi, Simon. Hi. If someone will let you talk without bothering you... I think we should get into the meat of the podcast. Yeah. We'd like to hear your story. Yeah, this is a story. Um, should I start at the logical starting place? Probably Start at so. the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so there, there's a couple like good starting places, but I think the most relevant would be kind of February, March. Um, when I, well, so there's also some other context. A year and a half ago now from... November 2023 uh, I tweaked my knee so that was at the start of last summer just like had IT band stuff happen um, and that affected how I trained so I did not have a very consistent training schedule because I just didn't rehab my knee properly so I'd go out push really hard until my knee failed and then like recover and just repeat that cycle and when you're saying push really hard um, I yeah what does that mean? It means like basically, so I didn't really have a job. I just lived in a vehicle and spent all my time in the hills. So I just like spend all of my time 
walking through the hills, like 30, 40 hours a week walking through the hills. So your full-time job was... Was walking through Adventuring. The hills. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this isn't like some structured training. You're just like, I'm going to just be in the mountains the whole time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but then like at some point I just overdid it. And so my knee would get tweaked again and I'd need yeah. to take time off. Or I'd like finish whatever objective I was doing and then I'd take time off because I was trash. Like when I finished the Sawatch 13ers, mm-hmm. um, I hiked for three weeks of like 30 to 40 hours and over 30,000 feet a week, just like lots of walking. And then after that, I was just like destroyed because it was really hard. Um, and then wow. I didn't do anything for like a month. So okay, I had like very fast ramp, very... And then just, like, drop off. And then at the start of this year, I decided I wanted to try NIWATS, and I wanted to try the hundo. <laughs> so yeah. I uh, started training for a 60-hour effort, which I had done one of, and so I kind of knew what it was like. Okay. Um, and for our listeners, no one has finished the 100 at NIWATS. Yeah. No. Only one person's attempted it, to be fair. Yeah. So... I keep saying every year I'm going to attempt it, yeah. and then I and then I you then I finish in. the yeah. fifty, and I'm like I'm not going. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a hard thing for sure. Um, but I was like training to do it, and so there were two training blocks. The first one, I just wanted to have a lot of time on feet, so I skied uh, a lot in a month, and that was February, mid February, mid March, which it snowed a lot. In oh yeah, it was. This was a. I was in the San Juans and. Yeah. Uh, I just got back from a snow and avalanche workshop and some of the places down there hit like 350% their average annual snowpack last year in that time period. So there was a lot of snow. Um, but I basically, I skied and mostly backcountry skied. So just hike up by my, like hike up and then ski down under my own power and spent a lot of time doing that. And I noticed in that training block that I was, I like took extra rest days because I was really tired and mm-hmm. was just worked all the time. Like generally very tired, um, which was not surprising cause I was skiing a lot, but also with the benefit of hindsight was maybe like a the start. Something. Yeah. That was like, I think the start. Um, mm. so there was that training block and then I came back, I took like a week off and then came back to Colorado to start training on the Niwats course. And in April was most like that training block. And in April, I took a single day off of not hiking or climbing or doing anything. Wow. Yeah. It was like a lot. And in that training block, I noticed that some things were like, I've, I've been walking a lot in my life and I had things happen that had never happened before, but I didn't worry about them. Like uh, a couple of things were like, I noticed my feet were always really red which I don't know if is actually related or not, but was just like mm. something that had never happened before. Um, hmm. And then I had way more joint swelling than usual. Like mm. I would go out, do seven or eight hours um, scouting or whatnot. And then I get back and like when I was cooking dinner, I would have straight legs cause I didn't want to bend them cause they were so swollen and I could have, uh, but I was like, Oh, they're recovering, yeah. so I don't want to like interrupt their process or whatever. So there's some interesting body reactions yeah. happening, but you're just like, ah, this is just part of the. Yeah, process. exactly. I mean, you know, you yeah. do ultras. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> things hurt and things get swollen. I mean, it's yeah, like, you don't worry about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you. Can it, yes, I. I've, we have talked <laughs> about my injuries. I have had the same reactions. Yeah, exactly. Um, and course. so I had that, and it was 
it was on like a slightly higher level than usual. Like, sure. But I was also like, well, I'm going out for so much and, you know, trashing my body in the South Platte and just like, I, I didn't think it was a problem. But um, your knee specifically isn't reacting no, more so than normal? Not, not any more than normal, no. And then um, what, basically what, uh, when I realized that something was not, just, I wasn't like okay. Um, so I went out and did, I was scouting the burn and was going to meet some folk. Mm-hmm. That um, is one of the two one loops, of the two loops at, on Niwots. Yes. Um, and so I did... I did like the northern part of it, and then I was gonna meet up with some people who were going south. So I was gonna do like a figure eight kind of thing. Okay. And then I was coming off of one of the peaks and tweaked my knee, um, just going down. Mm. And it was just because I, I went pretty hard on one of the climbs, and I was like, but I tweaked it enough that I was like, I'm gonna call it for the day. Okay. And walked back, and it wasn't that bad. But then, the day after that, uh, I think that that was a like precursor, and it, it stressed my body kind of over the edge and so the next day I went uh, climbing with my dad and I was walking up to the crag where you climb and um, I had this experience which I I haven't fainted many times in my life but the few times that I have I recall that my vision really focuses in very narrow and there's a moment before it happens that I realize that something is horribly wrong Mm -hmm. I don't know if you could like know what that feeling's like I've never fainted, oh. but that's me sounds neither. Scary. But I, but I have been in positions where the you know I've you know felt that my vision am, is is leaving me. Yeah. And there's a panic. Yeah, that panic. That you get it. You're just like, yeah, yeah. oh, what the fuck's going yeah, on? Yeah, exactly. You're you're <laughs> like something is not right. Like very clearly something is wrong, and you don't necessarily know why. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you pass out or whatever. But I had that just like walking up to go climbing. And that, that was like the moment that if there was a moment where I'd say it started, like that would be the start for sure. Um, because after that, it changed, it changed how I thought about everything. Like I was hyper analyzing how I was feeling because I had that sense of something's very wrong, but I was still like operating fine um, for the time being. So is that, when you say this is when it started, is that when it started in retrospect or you were conscious of that's when I came something be, is yes. happening with my that's body? That's when I became consciously aware of like, this is not normal. Okay. okay. And in true ultra fashion, you didn't dial back the activity I take. Well, so I like climbed all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. After almost losing your vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, climb all day. Yeah. It wasn't so much the vision loss, but it was the acute awareness that something was horrible. Right. Which is like... Um, which has happened before I pass out some, the few times I have. So, um, yeah. And then I climbed and, and essentially like that, uh, there's a lot that goes into this from that going mm-hmm. onwards that I was trying to figure out why I was feeling that. And so I was yeah. like hyper analyzing my bodily sensations and essentially I started to, um, shortly after that my body became unable to handle stress. And so I got in the course of like a couple days after that, I had like really bad anxiety and I've never, I want to be clear. Like I've never, I had a perfect upbringing. Like I have never been stressed particularly like everything's been peachy keen for me. And so to have bad anxiety was really strange. And, um, 
How did you, ha, since never having had it, how did you know how to identify it? Well, I didn't. And so, yeah. so what I was, ex- I, I learned after the fact. So I was in this like altered state, um, kind of just feeling, feeling like I wasn't connected to reality in a way that words aren't really an adequate tool for, but just mm-hmm. kind of watching my movie or watching my life as if it were a movie, um, mm. which is really bizarre to like look down at your hand and be like, I know that this is my hand, but I don't, I like my conscious eye does not feel at all connected to that. It's very freaky. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had that happen and that was, uh, that started that day I went climbing. And then the next couple of days I like uh, lost all my energy, like fatigue set in really bad. Um, And so there was, the worst of it was like, I went for a walk in the morning, uh, just up the hill, like 10 or 15 minutes. And this was at like nine and I got back and was like, I need to take a nap. Cause I was so exhausted from that walk. Wow. And like this the was, flu. you like the flu. Yeah. Um, and this was like within a week of me like, Oh, I might try to do all this hundred miles, 60 hour thing, oh you know? God. And so it's like, that was another thing where I'm like, Oh, maybe this isn't just like, I'm a little tired, you know, like maybe something's actually happening. Um, And then I also had, uh, like depression. Like Uh I just did not want to wake up in the morning. I was like, I just want to lie in bed and be here for forever. Um, which was very strange for me because I, so all of these are new experiences. All of these are like new experiences that I've never had. And they, they set in like really fast. And I was in this altered state of consciousness where I was like observing it as a, as if I were an outsider. And so it was just very, very strange. Um, and so I, uh, like I said, I lived in a vehicle for five years, so I don't have healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so I just like have Google. And, Welcome to America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I just have healthcare or I just have uh, the internet and I'm like generally kind of smart sometimes. And so I tried to figure out what was happening. And I like the, the shift in my consciousness was so impactful that I legitimately thought I had like a brain tumor or I was developing like schizophrenia or something. Which, because scary, both, yeah, both very scary, both very scary, and yeah, because wow. it was just like so the magnitude of it was like beyond what you can really kind of describe. Um, mm-hmm. And as in my research, I found uh, learned about this thing called depersonalization, which is a severe stress response in the body. So essentially, it's usually triggered by very acute stresses, like if you're in a burning building and you need to remove yourself from the mm-hmm. situation. Uh, what happens in the brain, and this is this is a common thing that happens to most people in their life at some point, apparently. Um, your your conscious you kind of the the part of your brain responsible for that kind of shuts down, and then your subconscious makes all the decisions and removes you from the situation. So you like will see people calmly walk out of burning buildings, and then once they get outside, they don't remember it because they're not consciously aware of what's happening their other parts of their brain kind of take over and once you're out of the danger it usually goes back to normal where you would be freaking out well well you would be like yeah there's the burning building like i don't know how i'm alive exactly normalizing like you're consciously aware of what's happening um and then you're trying to process that on a different level but what can happen is if you become consciously aware that you are not in control of your body that creates more stress 
and that like reinforces the feelings of depersonalization and keeps oh, you kind of disconnected. So it's this feedback loop yeah. that the brain, the brain sometimes has happened. Um, and I read, I read this article of this guy who experienced it for like two years and it was just so perfectly describing what I was feeling that I was like, this is almost certainly what it is. Um, wow. And <laughs> I don't. Um, <laughs> summit yeah and so the way that you get out of it is you just acknowledge that it's a natural response and that I did that as well and that helped me get out of it so that was nice and then took so, some time off I imagine too. well so yeah I, I took some time off but it's like at this point I, I want to like emphasize it's not that I was able to do anything uh, like I okay this is not this was this was the part where I realized that it was like a heavy thing was right. I literally felt like I would die. Like my body would shut down if I went out and tried to do something at all physical. Like wow. I just didn't have any gas and you know, I've done a lot of hiking. I've pushed through a lot of things, yeah. but like there was no way, like my body was fully out, like tapped out. And that was a new experience. Um, so this was around when Nightwatch was happening, yeah. and you didn't you didn't run this year. I did not run this year because I tweaked my knee. Um, that was what I told John. But then I did I did like go and uh, crew an aid station. That was fun. Oh um, yes, that was quite fun to see you fun. out there. Yes, uh, but at that time, like this was that was like a week maybe after all this started. So I was like fully not at all. Oh, okay like mentally right. just super zonked out um, but you were there with other people so yeah. maybe like so you could fake it for a little bit yeah, but yeah. then you had to go take a nap something like that yeah well i was i was uh at the aid station we just kind of chilled and talked but the my energy wasn't really there and I, I noticed like when i hiked that it felt like i had just done a an enormous effort like once you're, you know, 50 hours into something, you just feel like, oh, I've done something. Yeah. And I just felt like that all the time. Wow. Um, yeah. So every step just felt like, this is hard. Yeah. I was like, this is hard. Just to do something that previously you would see as quite Trivial. easy. Yeah, Trivial. Yeah. Trivial yeah. is a good word. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like... How long did this period last? So the... It took me about three weeks to figure out that I had depersonalization, which and was... this whole like, time, you're just like, I don't know what's going on. I, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just like... I'm, it, the weird thing is, uh, consciously, I was like, man, something's horribly wrong, and there's like this crippling sense of doom all the time, but I was still able to like move through the world and navigate the world fine, which is... I mean, I was very tired a lot of the time but yeah as far as like i could still cook i could still interact like you had no idea right right <laughs> yeah like, we had full conversations yeah exactly and it's like but I, I didn't feel like that was my consciousness like conveying anything it was like very autopilot that was doing uh, that i mean to is, be honest most conversations are autopilot this is true, this is true. yeah yeah <laughs> but um but not this one yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh yeah and so I, I realized I had depersonalization maybe in like two to three weeks. And then it, it took a while to get out of it. But the thing that that started the next step, which was like, well, I have this severe anxiety response to something, but yeah. I have no idea what it is because like 
I wasn't in a burning building or anything. You know, I was like walking up to the crag. Uh, and for some reason now I have all of this. So depersonalization, um, or which is essentially a disassociation, yes. right, of yes. your entire body. Yes. Is you're, you're, you're concluding through your research that this is an anxiety response. Yep. And you, you realize, okay, this is definitely what I have. And you, you go through this process of acceptance. Yeah. What, is the, what does acceptance mean? Well, so, it, it, to, like, get out of it. Yeah, like you said, I had to accept it. Yeah. In so order to get out there's, of it. The thing is, is it's very scary to feel like you don't control anything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you let that scare you, that creates more stress and that uh, continues the feedback. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you have to kind of like passively acknowledge that you have these feelings, but realize that it's fine. And for me, understanding the mechanisms of how that worked made it a lot easier. Yeah. So and what are the residual effects now? Well, so that was like severe anxiety. And now, um, well, after that I had, depression, fatigue, and anxiety. So you still had all of these... I still had all the symptoms. You, I just got out of, like, severe anxiety. Okay, mode. so you... Yeah. All right. So taking it so one step, like, you, you're able to accept, okay, I have this. I'm going to let this happen as long as it happens. Yeah. And then at some point, you're starting to realize, oh, my hands are my hands again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really is like that. Yeah. <laughs> So, and yeah, where do you go from there? Because you're still very anxious and you don't know why. Yeah. So that was like all oh, consuming. Which is so all like, anxiety, by the way, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I realize that now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get that now. It's a very... You're talking to two anxious people. Yes. Yeah. We, we love anxiety in this house. Yeah. It's a, it's a trip and I'm sorry that you experienced that. It's know. like... Um, but yeah, so after like I was out of that just headspace. I was like, well, why did this happen? And then there are a lot of things with the other symptoms that could have explained it. Like I could have cancer. I could Mm -hmm, have some adrenal or thyroid disease. Like there's all these organic diseases that could have come on fully by chance, Mm -hmm. Uh but the timeline of how it all happened fit over training syndrome very well. And it took me a while to accept that. Um, yeah. Was that hard to and accept you did it? Get a full blood panel. I right? did get a blood panel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and and the thing, I, I got a blood panel, and I just want to make sure our listeners know you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was like, well, something's really the, wrong, yeah. and so I did like actually get blood work done, uh, and everything came back pretty much normal. Um, and so, like, that is actually a symptom or a very common thing with overtraining syndrome is that you oh, like athletes get it and athletes are generally pretty healthy and so everything comes back normal and so that rules out a lot of organic things but if you don't know about overtraining syndrome then you're like what's wrong with me no idea yeah it's like you seem fine so i don't know what's going on with you um yeah and so i put the pieces together and like read read a lot about how overtraining syndrome sets in and what the symptoms are and what's actually happening in the body um i've spent a lot of time learning about how the brain works. And so understanding the mechanisms kind of helped me. I would say it helped me accept it, but it still took a long time for me to be like, oh, this is actually a thing. And it's it's well, pretty serious when it's bad. So, 
I mean, it's often hard to accept things that go against our identities. Right. Or our core Uh, beliefs as people. Yeah. And to accept that you had overtraining syndrome, I imagine, was an admission that you weren't invincible. And you... You've been doing, I mean, Nolan's 14 is so difficult. And, and a lot of these efforts that you've done are, are incredible. And I, was it hard to, to ingest into your, to yourself that like, man, I, I actually can't do everything. Like, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I accepted that I can't do everything like quite a while ago, okay. but to certainly to have the recognition that I could like overcook it to a point that I couldn't push through. Like Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of things and been like, well, you know, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of fatigue and, and I can like internalize that and keep going. But to have an experience Mm. where it's literally not like I, there's no way. Cause it feels like if I did, I would actually just die. Um, that was a new thing and very hard to like accept. Um, and that's yeah. like your brain's protective mes- mechanism, yeah, right? right? Well, it's saying like, you are done being in charge here. Yeah. You are not doing yeah. things you, right. That's yeah. what We're anxiety, taking over. That's what anxiety is. It is your brain protecting you from something that it sees as a threat. Right. And in this case, it saw you as a threat. Yeah. It and saw, so it, yeah. <laughs> it literally saw like its own body, its own mind as a, as a threat because it would, it would go too far. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's important to note that it saw it as a threat because uh, there were biological things happening with, like, my hormones. Right. Yeah. Which had never happened before. And so, um, essentially, with overtraining syndrome, you build up cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone, stress hormone that um, everyone has because everyone exists in the world and there's stressors in the world. It's not a bad thing. But when you overtrain you have elevated levels of cortisol for a long time and your body basically can't process them in a healthy way and that is what causes essentially when you have very high cortisol levels for a long time all of your other hormones get out of whack as Mm. a result and that was something that I realized, well, that changed the chemistry of my brain, which then changed how I perceive things, which was very stressful, which caused more cortisol release. And that was like the cascading failure point. Um, so it was my body protecting me. F- I, w- I don't know if I'd say from myself, but like um, certainly from the stress of exercising excessively, which was fueled by me. So in, I, I'm going to say yeah. indirectly. But, okay. okay. Um, yeah. But it's all perspective. It's all perspective. Yeah. It's, you know, it couldn't handle it, which means I couldn't handle it. So, so how has the recovery been? Like you, you have at this point in the story, you, you know, you have overtraining syndrome and you are prepared to solve it. Yeah. So, um, there's, I'm prepared to solve it. I, I think it's probably important to point out there's three stages of overtraining syndrome. Okay. Um, stage one is functional overreaching, which is what you do when you train. Like you will go and you'll push hard and you'll get tired and then you take some time off and when you come back, you're better. That's, mm-hmm. That is a technical definition of overtraining. That's stage one. And then stage two and three are you basically push past that, you don't recover, and then 
it takes months or years to get back to the baseline before. Wow. Which, so, uh, learning this, like, stage two usually takes two to four months, roughly. Um, but then stage three is, like, athletes who get stage three overtraining, like, stop being athletes. Because their wow. body, they basically cause their body to fully be able, unable to handle stress and exercise is just a stress. So there's a lot of examples of, uh, like Olympic and high level athletes who get overtraining syndrome. And it's just this, always this mysterious thing. Cause no one knows what it is. Cause there's no biomarkers for it. You can't just like go to the doctor and be like, do I have this? They're like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and so, and then they just stop being athletes. Like that's the end of their career. So I, I think, I was somewhere in the middle um, because I still feel the effects of it. And it's been six months since it happened. Wow. Which has been a whole thing. <laughs> it's been a whole mind shift for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So I have, a, I have a friend who felt like she was approaching overtraining syndrome. Um, she just felt like lack of motivation Lots and lots of fatigue. Yep. Um, she was running 50 to 60 miles a week for a all summer, consistent period of time, and really felt like she was approaching that that breaking point. Yep. I would, I'd love for, um, I'd love to pick your brain. What advice would you give someone who is approaching that breaking point? Yeah, well, I think if you, I, I've learned this and you got to, realize like I'm obviously pretty bullheaded sometimes like I can be stubborn <laughs> yeah. given what I've done but um I think that my experience I've definitely learned to dial it back when I feel like I need to dial it back like if you're just pushing and pushing for long enough you'll overdo it at some point and that pushing that point is different for everyone um uh, yeah. yeah and so like I don't know the, her background and all these other things, but, um, if you feel very fatigued, like, yeah, you should rest. I mean, that's your body, like telling you you're tired, you should rest and you know, you can push it out and you can push through it for a bit. But as I've learned, you can't push through it forever. Um, otherwise your body will be like, okay, well this, obviously you're not going to stop. So we'll figure out some other way to make you stop, you know? Uh, but I do yeah. think that, uh, there's this, I did a lot of research on this and there's uh, a lot of people say like, if you think you have overtraining, probably if you think you might have overtraining syndrome, you probably don't. If you are, feel like you're getting towards there, that's a good marker that maybe you should dial it back. But like once you go over the threshold, it's not a question. Um, it's uh. not, it's just like you can't function because your body is basically shutting down. So that was an experience and that was the experience that I had. And I don't recommend it to anyone. Wow. It's really unpleasant. So This is really fascinating stuff, uh, Justin. Thanks for sharing yeah, your story. For sure. uh, this is really interesting. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very powerful story. Of, you know, I think in this sport, we, we promote this idea that you can do anything. And well, by we this sport, I'm, we don't I'm, just promote, we like yeah. uphold and glorify the people who overdo it. Yeah. And overdoing it is so personal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember a few years back, Walter Handloser ran 
a hundred miler every weekend or 50 out of 52 weekends Whoa. in one year. Good for him. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> it's a lot of running. That's a lot. Um, yeah. You know, and maybe we'll have him on the pot at some point. Uh, we'll but ask him what, what he was running from. But I, I imagine, <laughs> you know, like, you know, he spent years transforming his body into being able to do that. Yeah. And, but there, it, there is a point where everyone does start to break down and it is not equal across people. Absolutely. And yeah. we, as you say, we glorify a lot of people in this sport who are just out there doing it all and, and more power to them. If their bodies can, like they should be doing what they want out in the mountains or on race day, uh, however they choose to use their athleticism. But I, I, I think that we should, we should caution, you know, newer runners, uh, people getting into ultra running that like there are dangers oh, yeah. to to pushing yourself so hard. Um, mm-hmm. We we respect people who push their boundaries, but you know re- also listen to your body. Yeah, absolutely. I would. Yeah. Say so. Yeah, absolutely. Is we'd like to close this podcast with like any advice, unsolicited advice <laughs> you'd like advice. to <laughs> share with our listeners. Uh. Doesn't have to be running related. It doesn't. It, no. it could but, be though. Well, you know, I always say that if I could go back in time and tell myself anything, I'd say buy a longer spoon. So that's unsolicited <laughs> advice, but uh, buy, a <laughs> buy a longer spoon. spoon. You know, I've seen this, so you can get into the yeah, meals. you know, yeah. So you don't have to like get your hand wet or dirty when you're getting oh, peanut butter so, out of the jar. So smart. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Um, that is a good one. Yeah, but on a more related note, like I think. Uh, I think the sport does glorify people who push their bodies really hard and like do these things. But mm-hmm. as someone who's like overdone it and is also not too interested in competition and such, like yeah. I much more glorify people who are out there for the right reasons and then listen to mm-hmm. just listen to their bodies and like make sure they're doing it for the right reason. And if something were to happen, like they're happy with what their choices are. That's those are the kind of people that I very much spend a lot of time around because they're good people. So, yeah. what are the right reasons? Oh, uh, that's totally personal. <laughs> but yeah, my right reasons are because I enjoy it a lot and just like it brings me happiness and deep deep content on a way that nothing else does. Um, so, it's not I, I, you know it changes for everyone, but. Sure. It's not like because I want to go fast or need to prove anything to anyone. It's just like because I want to enjoy the view of the hills and smell the trees. So mm-hmm. those are my reasons. Awesome. I, my reasons are so I can be in the community, talk to people, push my body farther than I thought I would, and uh, have an adventure that I didn't think I would. Yeah, the experience part is a big thing too. Sometimes when you don't know how something's going to turn out, it's the best way to experience something. Right. I like that. Thank you cool. so much, Justin. Oh, wait. Uh, one last thing. Do you want to plug your YouTube channel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a YouTube channel with videos of my past endeavors. It's just my name, Justin Swantek, on YouTube. Check it out if you want. Yep. It, there's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. But I'm my <laughs> own worst critic, probably. So <laughs> John yeah. will link to it in the show notes. Perfect. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's good fun.